0: You're listening to Ari Goldwag's Parsha podcast recorded in 5768, 2007. As last week, we do not have a Parsha this week. However, we do have the wonderful Chag of Sukkot. So I'd like to give you some food for thought, something to mull over as you sit in your Sukkot, this wonderful Chag, this wonderful festival of Sukkot. Just today, I was reading some ideas in the Sefer of Rav Shimshan David Pinkus. Wonderful deep thinker, Zechern al And I'd like to share some of these ideas with you, and perhaps some other ideas as well. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, and of Yud Aleph, Ahmed Aleph, makes some interesting contradictions between the months of Nisan and the months of Tishrei. Tishrei is the month we're in currently, Nisan is the month of Pesach, and there are very interesting comparisons, things that happen, that uh, a beautiful Sefer by the name of the Arch explains in a very interesting way. Some of the things that we come across are that in the month of Tishrei, so the Gemara says, but Tishrei, it's, an actually, it's actually an argument. When was the world created? It's an argument between Rabbi Yazar and Rabbi Yeshua. Rabbi Lezzar says, the world was created in the month of Tishrei. And Rabbi Yeshua says, no, the world was created in Nisan. Now if you'll notice in the liturgy on Rosh Hashanah, we say, uh, haras olam, the world was created now which would seem to imply that the world was created in Tishrei. Now the Aruch points out that in fact we find that there are certain parts of the davening that we say on Pesach that actually imply that the world was created then, during, during Nisan. So he resolves this conflict by saying that in fact the world in some way was created both in Tishrei and in Nisan. He says the world, the world was created in God's thought. You have to understand what this means, obviously. But the world was created in God's thoughts. He had the first thought, the Hava Amina, to create the world in Tishrei. Hence the Lashon Hayom Haras Olam, which means today the world was conceived. That would imply there's like this first thought. It didn't actually come to a fruition yet. And then in Nisan, was when the world was actually actively created. Hence we can understand some other interesting differences between Tishrei and Nisan. It says that in Tishrei, Nifkada Sara, Rachel, and Chana. Sara, Rachel, Chana, these three women were able to conceive. They were remembered in order to be able to conceive in Tishrei. And the Gemara says that when was Yitzchak born, he was born Pesach time. We see the idea that there's potential and actual. The world was thought of in Tishrei. The world was created in Nisan. The, ch- the children were conceived in Tishrei. Yitzchak was born in Nisan. We see this idea. Another place that we see this idea is also, the Gemara says that in Tishrei, the shibud, the enslavement of Mitzrayim ended, which set the groundwork for the people of Israel to be able to leave, so that you had the you had the potential occurring in Tishrei and again, in Nisan was the actual redemption, that's when the people of Israel went out of Egypt. Another place that we find this idea, that Tishrei is potential and Nisan is actualization of the potential, is we find it in the davening we start to daven, now we started to ask for rain because rain is the thing that helps the roots grow, it helps the fruits grow, of course, but the fruits already is the actualization of the potential, but this is a time more of, of striking down into the ground the roots, and Nisan is the time when we're going to have that potential start to come out, we're going to have the grass starts to grow again, it's the spring, it's the time when everything starts to bud, that's the idea, Tishrei is a time of potential, Nisan is a time of the actualization of that potential. Now the truth is that we've already gone through the time from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, the 10 days of repentance, which is when we really, really work on our potential. We really work on the roots. And that's why there's brought down in Halacha that even if a person the rest of the year does not eat pas Yisrael, doesn't eat bread that's baked by a Jewish person, he should be careful during this time to only eat bread that's baked by a Jewish person. In fact, there are people who are also careful, even if they drink Chal Stam, they drink regular milk all year round. But during Asar Semei they're careful to only drink Chal of Yisrael Milk that was made by a Jew or watched by a Jew being made. So you see this idea, right? What are we trying to figure out? God, oh, the rest of the year we don't care, but now all of a sudden we care. No, the idea is that there's this, we're, we're now striking down the roots. This is where we're laying the groundwork for what we're going to be the rest of the year, this time. So now the question is what happens as we come into Sukkot? What's the continuation? How does it continue out of Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur? What's the next step? What does Sukkot represent? This is where we come to the ideas that I read today in Rosh Shemshin and, and that's what I want to share with you right now. There are three different mitzvahs that we have on sukkahs, three different commandments, and if we understand the depth of each one, we'll come to an understanding of what we're supposed to get out of sukkahs. The first mitzvah, the most obvious mitzvah, is the mitzvah of sitting in a sukkah. We have the commandment to sit for seven days in a sukkah. The definition of a sukkah, as Rashi says right at the beginning of Masechah sukkah, the sukkah is actually referring to the schach, the roof of the sukkah. All the laws that we have really mainly have to do with where the, where the shach has to be placed, how high it has to be, what it's supposed to be made out of, etc. The mitzvah of the sukkah is to be underneath this schach. We have to know what that means. Now the next mitzvah that we have is the mitzvah of Lulav. We take a palm branch, together with an esrog, a citron, together with myrtle branches, and together with aravos branches. These four things, we, pu- we pull them together, we, we hold them together, and we shake them back and forth in four directions, up and down. And the third mitzvah that we have, which doesn't really exist in this time, although we do do things to remind ourselves of it, is that in the base HaMikdash, in the Holy Temple, so they used, to, they used to take water and they used to pour the water onto the Mizbeach, onto the altar. And there was a tremendous celebration that was associated with this water pouring onto the Mizbeach, onto the altar. It was called the Simcha Spesa Shoeva, the rejoicing of the drawing of the water. And in fact, the Gemara says a person who never saw this Simcha, never saw that rejoicing in the, in the, in the Temple, had never seen a true joy in their life. So we have these three mitzvahs, Sukkah, Lulav, what do each of What's the core, what's at what the crux of each of these things? So let's go back to the first mitzvah. The first mitzvah that we said was sukkah. The pasuk says, "What's the point of sukkah?" L-man yeidu so that your generations should know Ki ba es b'ne Israel, that I made the people of Israel sit in sukkos. The Gemara says, not only is it something that we have to know that happened then, but there's a yedia, a knowledge that we have to have now is the idea that a person has to know that he's actually sitting in a sukkah. One of the reasons that the sukkah cannot be above a certain height is because you have to be able to see the schach, because a person has to be aware that he's in the sukkah. The Gemara also explains that another reason that we have to do this, that we have to have this schach there, it's actually an argument in the Gemara, but the, the one that we hold like, says that it's supposed to remind us that Hashem protected us then, and it's supposed to continue to remind us that God protects us now. We see there's this understanding that the sukkah is supposed to remind us that Hashem is in charge. God is in charge of our lives. He's taking care of us on a regular basis. Nothing is happenstance. Everything, there's this constant connection that God has with us. That's the mitzvah of sukkah. The next mitzvah that we have is lulav, the mitzvah of lulav. So we take a lulav which looks like a long spine. And we take an esr which looks like a heart. And we take a hadas, a myrtle branch, which each leaf looks like an eye. And we take a the willow branches, each leaf looks like a tongue. All these things, we come together, this is the Medrash, the Medrash says in Vaikra, all these things come together to teach us that our, our spine is supposed to be dedicated to the will of Hashem, to the will of God, our heart is supposed to be dedicated to the will of God, our eyes and our mouth, all of these are the main players in our functioning in our lives. Each of these things are supposed to be dedicated to the will of God. That's the second mitzvah. Now the third mitzvah of the water libation, the water, the water libations, and the actual rejoicing of the water. Tosus at the beginning of Masechah in, in the fifth parak of Sukkah says that what was what was the what was the drawing? What were they drawing? They were drawing Ruach Hakodesh were actually drawing the Beit the Temple, as we mentioned in the past, was a place where the prophets would go and people would go to receive divine influx. To to go there for they would meditate there and they would come there to to receive divine inspiration, connect to God. That was the idea of the water libation. That was the rejoicing. It was the rejoicing of connecting to God. Now Rupikas compares the type of approach that we had from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur to the approach that we have already at Sukkot. The approach that we have from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur is one of fear. We approach God through our fear, perhaps fear of rep- retribution, or perhaps fear of making Hashem upset, and that's where we come to repentance. He says when we come to the, the time of Sukkot, it's a time of Ahava, a time of extreme love. And just as someone who's in love with someone else, or someone who loves deeply someone else, He loves to do their will. He, he, if, someone, if, if, my, if my loved one would ask me to do something, someone who I love very deeply, I would be ecstatic to do what they said. The same thing with Hashem. If we're in this relationship of love with Hashem, we're in love with God. Then when Hashem says to, says to us to do something, it's not a burden at all. It's something that we'd love to do. This is We're running to do it. We're running to find the nicest ester. We're running to find the nicest lulav. Whatever it is that God asks, it's exciting. It's like Rapinkis mentions that when someone says a bracha very quickly, it shows that there's a lack, perhaps, there's a lack of love in his relationship to God because someone that you love you don't just shoot it off quickly you realize that this is something special this is I'm I'm connecting to God right now we don't just that's that's not how we do it more than that says Rav Pinkus the Sukkot holiday is a time that we can connect to Hashem in this way we see that his hand is constantly involved in our lives he points out that the name of Hashem is written with the letters Yud, then hey, then Vav, then hey. We don't read it the way it's written. Actually, the way we read it is like the, the name Aleph, Dalad, Nun, Yud. The name Yud, He, and then Vav, and then He, that name represents that God is constantly involved in the world. He is constantly recreating the world. He is constantly being mechadesh, He He's constantly recreating the world. The idea is that he's constantly involved, directly, personally. Now when, when Hashem's hand is hidden, like in this time when the people of Israel are in Golis, when they're in exile, we don't see his hand as much. So we read the name as Aleph Nun Nunyud, which expresses God's the fact that God is the ruler over the world, but we don't per se see it. When we get to a level of love with Hashem, we realize that even though it seems to be hidden, in the truth, the truth is that really Hashem is there, and He is directly involved in our lives. Even though it's not directly apparent, the truth is that underneath it all, He really is there. He's really involved, and that's that's the that's the idea of Sukkis, Because the, He says this is unbelievable. The word sukkah in gematria is the same as the name yud then hey then vav then hey. Plus, which is 26, plus the name of Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud. When you take the gematria, the numerical value of those two and you add it together, equals the same gematria as Sukkah. The Samech and the He of Sukkah are 65, and the Chaf and the Vav of Sukkah are 26. Because the idea of sukkah is the fact that we recognize that Hashem is involved in our lives and even though it's somewhat hidden, He is there and He's directly and intimately involved at every level. And that's why we go out into the sukkah. We leave our house, we go out of the sukkah, out of the house, I'm sorry, into the sukkah. That represents the fact that we're coming under the tzel hashkina, under the shade of God, and and we're recognizing that He's involved. Once we get from that level, then we come to the level of Lulav. Because Lulav represents the fact that we are going to to bend our will, we're going to subjugate our hearts, our spine, our eyes, our tongue, each of those elements of, of our character, each of those elements of our bodies, we're going to subjugate those things to Hashem. Once we know that He's involved and we have a loving relationship with Him, that's what we want to do. We want to subjugate our hearts to Him. And that's also the idea of Ruach, ha- Ruach HaKodesh, the idea of coming close to connectedness with Hashem, when a person has true love for Hashem and connects to Him in the, in the, in the ultimate way so he can reach a level of Ruach HaKodesh, of un- really understanding the Divine Will and, and being guided directly by Hashem. And these are the three aspects that we have in Sukkot. And I want to wish you and me and all of us mm-hmm. that we should have a beautiful Sukkot, a good Shabbos, and a wonderful, prosperous, and spiritual year.